The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with a commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Bert Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson. Today on the show, we have Rachel Konowitz, who is founder and COO of Motivote. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, it's great to be here. We would definitely love to hear, in your own words, what's the most simple way that you would describe what your business does? Yeah, so Motivote is all about making voting fun, easy, and social. So we work with campaigns, causes, and companies to help them activate the folks that they're working with um, and help them get more civically engaged, starting with voting. So we're using these research-proven principles of behavioral science to help get them engaged and walk them through the process so that they show up on election day. So needed. <laughs> and I, I love your emphasis on making it fun. So it's not just like something that we just begrudgingly do, but that you found a way to make it actually fun for people. I'm so curious. What's one of the ways that you make it fun? Yeah. So we have a, a digital platform where we're taking the experience of getting ready to vote. So all those little things that are kind of could be annoying or feel burdensome to do to get prepared, like making sure you have the right ID and you know where to go and turning it into this social and gamified experience. So basically you join a team with your friends, uh, commit to vote, and then we walk you through that process and we give you points for doing those things that get you ready, like making your voting plan. And those points can then be used uh, to win real life rewards, like free ice cream or movie tickets. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Everyone loves free ice cream, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So if we're looking at the vision or what you're driving the company toward is trying to get people to actually do their civic duty, to go out to vote and to make that process enjoyable. But what's your big vision for the company? Where do you see the company maybe in the next five years, 10 years or so? Yeah. So, you know, our big picture vision is that we want to see a world where everyone is voting. And we think about that in terms of getting young people, so you know, 18 to 29 year olds to be voting at the same uh, rate as their grandparents. And, and to get there, we really want Motivote to be that commonplace tool that everyone is using to get ready to vote. Um, something that's made it outside of that kind of political world and people who are thinking about voting to something that is just an everyday part of of people's lives. Mm, Yeah. So what inspired you to get into this? Like, what's your big why? I think I maybe have some guesses, but I'd love (laughs) to hear it from you. Yeah. So uh, my background is in uh, political advocacy and organizing. I spent time after college working with young people on college campuses on a variety of issues. And what I realized I was really passionate about beyond any one particular issue was helping people to get engaged and become 
take advantage of their their power in their their own right when it comes to politics and advocacy. And then I met my co-founder when I was in grad school getting a master's of public administration. We had an opportunity to create a business solution to a pressing social problem and it was the spring of 2017. So like a lot of other people uh, looking at our democracy and, and voting and all of that was very top of mind. So we took this passion that I have for getting young people involved uh, and my co-founder's passion for behavioral science and politics and uh, turned that into Motivote. Awesome. And do you know, what's the typical voter turnout among Gen Z and also like compared to millennials? Do you have that data by chance? Yeah. So off the top of my head. So, um, Young people in general, so if we think about that, that's like 18 to 29. So Gen Z and some of the younger millennials, they vote at lower rates than any other age group. In presidential years, that's been around 50% or lower. And then for other years, it's lower than that. So this year in 2018, or 2018, so I guess last year at this point, two years ago, it was 30%, which was a record-breaking uh, year typically it's more like twenty percent, but older age groups are voting more like seventy percent, and so we want to see everyone getting up to that level, or ideally everyone voting. And yeah. when you say older age group, that's like the baby boomers and up. Yeah, baby boomers and up. Jet, you know, some of Gen X. Yeah. Got it. I almost didn't realize that there was such a stark difference between the two demographics. I feel like I always knew that baby boomers and like some of Gen X that their, you know, voting rates were higher than those of the younger generations, but I just had no idea that the gap was that wide. Yeah, it's a pretty big gap. And it's also a problem that's been around for a long time. It's not like baby boomers and Gen X when they were in their early 20s were voting at the rates that they vote now. Um, it's always been something that's existed. And so we're trying to take a, a new tactic at solving this. And adding on to this, do you have any insight into why is there such a difference between the older generations and the younger generations? Yeah, so I'd say there's a bunch of, of different reasons. Some of it is that once you're older, you, you know, you're settled in one place, you have kids in the school system, you own property, you're paying taxes, and so you're thinking about things uh, more like that. Young people just also aren't reached out to as much by campaigns and organizations because they don't have that history of being consistent voters and groups understandably tend to focus on the people that they know are more likely uh, to show up. But if we don't go out and get in touch with younger people in the first place and they don't feel like they're being paid attention to, they're not going to show up. And also the process is confusing when you get started. Voting is not as simple as it should be. And so these little things in our way when it's not part of our habits already keep us from doing something that we know we should be doing or intend to do. And so that's why we're really focused on the behavioral aspect of it because we can't solve the fact that, you know, you don't have kids or you don't pay property taxes and feel that vested interest, but we can make the process more easy and more fun and help you do something you know you should be doing. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about what went into actually getting this off the ground? And first of all, so you are for-profit, not non-profit, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Maybe you can even speak to that about how you made that decision, whether this should be a non-profit or a for-profit. A lot of our listeners are 
um, people who are thinking about creating either a nonprofit or a for-profit and uh, having their social impact that way. So can you speak about that? And then I want to ask you more about starting the business. So we definitely thought about this question a lot when we were getting started. And I think there's two main things. One is just the broader thing of there's, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to do good and make an impact in the world while also running a profitable business. And we believe that there is a profitable business model behind what we're doing, that we're selling a a valuable tool that uh, has broad uh, applicability beyond just you know, campaigns and nonprofits, but really making voting uh, part of our, our lives outside of that. Um, also, for us as a political tool in particular, we decided that being a for-profit gave us the most flexibility. So there are, if you're a nonprofit in the political world, there are some restrictions around who you can work with in terms of campaigns and nonpartisan groups and partisan groups. And we could have created a hybrid nonprofit structure that gave us that flexibility. But by being for-profit, we're, we're able to also tackle that issue and work with whoever we want, uh, yeah. which in turn allows us to have a profitable business. That makes a lot of sense. It feels like a win-win on all fronts then. And I love what you said about you can have this difference in the world and still make a profit. That's something that I know Melinda and I feel really passionate about that. You don't have to completely sacrifice yourself to, to a cause. But on that front, what was one of the hesitations that you had, or maybe even your biggest hesitation about starting this? Yeah, we had started this as a grad school project. And so I was coming out of grad school uh, at NYU and we got into their summer accelerator program, which gives a small amount of funding and a a space to work and programming summer after graduating. And so it was kind of like, well, this is my opportunity to do something. I didn't have to quit my job or uh, anything like that. But I do think there was a lot of hesitation around, you know, is this something that can actually work? We started this as a grad school project. It was an idea. It was supposed to be a paper, but is this a, you know, it was scary to say, is this something that we could actually turn into a business and make a living off of doing? And you have been doing it for a few years now, right? When did it start? Yeah. So we officially launched in the summer of 2018. uh, So about a year and a half now. I love how you were just talking about the ability to make profit and making that profit and impact at the same time. So for me, I, I am a, a big fan of strategy and getting down into the nitty gritty details. So I would love to know at the level that you're comfortable with, how is it that Motivote makes money? Yeah, that's a great question. So the data piece is definitely something that we see down the road as we continue to work with more people and organizations and gather that valuable information about how to best engage people. But right now, the way that we make money is we uh, have a license, we sell our platform. So it's a licensing fee and people pay to use the platform and for the level of of customization and data that they're uh, getting back from that. Cool. And has there been anything that you found that's been particularly challenging for you or maybe something that was kind of a surprise that was like, wow, I didn't think that would actually be a challenge, but it turns out that it was. Yeah, I think one thing that we discovered as we started selling to people is that 
just getting someone to say yes and even sign the contract and give you money is not enough to be successful and have the tool be successful that they're, you know, the implementation piece of it, uh, especially when you're doing something new that people are not familiar with, that there's a, a lot of work that goes into that as well, which may seem obvious, but really figuring out what does our onboarding process look like and what does our customer support process look like yeah. uh, was something that we had thought about a little bit, but until we were really in it and had customers, uh, didn't, hadn't fully tackled. You know, it's kind of like that whole, we cross that bridge and we get to it. A lot of the times in business and in nonprofit and everything else, we like to think that we have things completely figured out, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know what you don't have until you end up needing it. And then it's like, oh, okay, now we need to figure out how to kind of bookend our process to make sure we're not only bringing people in, but then we're able to adequately engage with them and meet their, um, their customer service expectations as they're in our our sales, you know, funnel or whatever have you. So getting back to the money piece, because I want to really provide as much insight as possible on that for our listeners. Obviously it's for profit and you explained a little bit about the business model. Can you talk personally about, are you able to support yourself fully with this role that you have or is it kind of a mix of things that you do to make the world a better place and still be able to pay your bills what's your recipe behind making all of this work yeah so it's definitely been a challenge at times as we've been raising money and, and getting customers i have taken on some side work uh while i've been doing this some of that was more hours, I've now been able to, to scale that back. And the goal is to be able to do this uh, totally full-time starting this year. But we definitely, as a business, had to make a decision of saying, okay, you know, can we pay both of us to do full-time? Which of us is able to you know, do these other things easily and get these side gigs? You know, how are we going to prioritize how we spend our money and our time so that a, we can make the business successful, but B, both of us are able to pay bills and rent and all of that. And I can imagine with having a co-founder, that took a lot of careful conversation and planning to be able to come to that decision. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's something that we were able to do together. And I think the important thing there is that we were just really honest with each other, what our needs were mm -hmm. uh, outside of the business, because I think, you know, we're you know, married to each other in a, in a way with this. And so you really have to be willing to say, you know, this is what I need to be able to do it. If we can't do this, I need to also get this other side gig. And that means I'm going to have less capacity and really talk through, you know, what's the minimum I can do? What do I need? And be willing to have an open and honest conversation about that. Yeah, absolutely. You really hit it on the head when you said it's kind of like a marriage. I've done a lot of work with tech startups and the co-founders, it's like this just very unique, <laughs> almost marital relationship. And it's so important to really be on the same page and checking in with each other's needs and values and have really great communication, just like a normal marriage, because that just ripples throughout the entire business if the founders aren't in step with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's something that we're you know really passionate about here is digging in, showing how people are out there 
making the world a better place, doing work that they're really passionate about, and still surviving and living in places like New York City where the rent can be a little bit higher. Besides what you've already talked about, is there any other kind of tough lesson that you ended up having to learn as you were building your business? Maybe something that you didn't um, account for in that initial planning phase? It's a good question. I think some of it was just, you know, one of the lessons we learned early on and I think has stuck with us is that sometimes you just have to go out and do it even when you don't quite feel ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we spent a lot of time early on being like, well, we'll have these, you know, we can't email people yet or we can't call people yet because we're not ready to do it. We don't know what we're going to say to them. And at a certain point, you just have to go out there and talk to people. And that's something that we keep coming back to even now where, for example, we're working on our sales process and really thinking out what does it look like for each of our customer segments and what's the process we're going to use and what are the emails are going to look like. But we're also saying, okay, we can't wait to keep doing sales, we need to just keep going even as we develop this. And if it's not perfect, that's okay. Um, I think particularly uh, as women and female founders, there can be this tendency to be like, it has to be totally right. Right. Um, And we've kind of learned and keep reminding ourselves, you just got to do it because you can't be successful if you're not putting yourself out there. Absolutely. (laughs) I've been dealing with some people in my um, business who um, are wanting to do something social impact related, but it, it's kind of a constant struggle. We're always having this conversation about, oh, well, I don't feel like I'm ready. And it's like, well, you'll never really feel like you're ready because you're taking on something new and your brain is meant to protect you. So in a lot of ways, if you're doing something new, there's never going to be a point where your brain's like, okay, we are hundred percent completely ready. Let's go. So I've been talking a lot about like perfection being the enemy of progress that, okay, it's like we can either, you know, sit here and try to make this as perfect as possible and continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Or we can say, you know what, it's as good as, as we can make it right now. Let's go ahead and put it out there and, you know, continue to move on in the process. So I love that you said that. I think that's, that's really good. Yeah. I'm reading this book right now. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And she talks about this very thing where no matter who you are, no matter how much you've achieved, you're always going to have fear that happens, right? And if you're not feeling fear, it means you're in your comfort zone and you're no longer up-leveling. And so as long as you are taking on new challenges, doing new things, there's going to be fear. But what makes the difference between people who get stuck and people who are able to achieve their dreams and their goals is what they do with that fear. Do they let it just completely keep them in that comfort zone or do they embrace the fear and do it anyway and put themselves out there? So I think that that's huge. And I especially love that you mentioned, you know, as female business owners and the whole imposter syndrome thing is something that so many of us deal with. Like, who am I to be emailing these people or putting this out here before I completely know what I'm doing? So that's a huge, huge lesson that anyone who's going out and doing something slightly difficult or really up-leveling themselves, that is such a natural reaction. Yeah. And I, I would say it's, you know, it's something I continue to tell myself and teach myself every single day. It's a lesson we've learned, but certainly not something I've totally mastered. 
at this point. No. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what the author of this book was saying. I believe her name is Susan Jeffers, is that you never really do master it. Like you may master it for that level. Like once you kind of reach that level and you've worked through your fear and you are now doing the thing that you used to be scared of, as you continue to grow and expand, the fear comes back and you kind of have to start the process over again. I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully better at it each time right you can recognize that fear and that inner critic but yeah it's definitely a muscle that you have to keep toned there's a business coach that I follow and her kind of methodology is is the same she kind of identifies it more as like limiting beliefs and that like at each new level each time you up level each time you you know do something new each time you do something you know better than you did at at the previous level, there's like a whole new slew of kind of like limiting beliefs that you have to clear kind of in order to to progress on your path. And kind of like along those lines, because I feel like this conversation really lends itself well to women who are in business or in the social impact space who are really trying to do things and create lanes. But for those who are still at the space where they're maybe aspiring to be a change maker or aspiring to create something that's going to impact the world, what piece of advice would you have for somebody who's hoping to create something, um, but still has not quite yet entered the space? I would say just go out there and start talking to people who are in the field uh, of and the area that you want to be doing something, either just getting to know them and learning from them or getting their feedback on your early ideas. That will really start to build your confidence in what you're doing, as well as help shape what you want to do. Similarly, we didn't want to put our idea out there until it was ready. But when we went and we just started talking to people who honestly felt kind of scary, like why would this person ever want to talk to me? And just learning from them, that really helped to get us to a place where we were able to build our product and start having um, a business. So whether it's just emailing people and asking them to chat or going to events where people will be. Uh, I think that's like the best first step if you're trying to break into doing this. And mentally, you're putting yourself in the whole new arena too, right? Just by communicating with those people, you start to feel like, oh, I actually belong. I mean, obviously, those first few emails are really scary and things like that. But you start to just imagine yourself in that world. And I know that's been the case for me every time I've reached out to people. And I'm like, who am I to be reaching out to this person, right? <laughs> right. So I'd love to hear from you for any aspiring change makers who are on here and are listening to your advice and they're getting inspired. What's another issue in the world besides low voter turnout that you wish somebody else would uh, work on? There are so many issues uh, <laughs> that I care about. So it's a little bit of, of a hard um, thing to tackle. Um, but I, I think if there's, I mean, again, there's, there's so many, but I think the one issue right now that is very clearly kind of pressing is climate change. Um, and I don't think you know, we have plenty of people working on it, but we could always have more. And I think it's for sure existential. So uh, I always want to see more people working. On right. That. 
and from different angles, right? There's so many ways that I'm starting to see people pitch in with climate change and also other environmental care and conservation and things like that. But it's such a huge beast, right? That it's kind of feels like an all hands on deck thing for anyone that feels passionate about that issue. You know, listen to that calling, see how you can get involved in this crisis. And what you're doing with Motivo is directly impacting climate change, right? If people are um, concerned about climate change, then they should vote for people who are going to pass policies around protecting the climate or the environment. So all these issues really tie together as well. And um, I think that's what's cool about the social impact space too, is they may be separate issues, but they do affect each other and go hand in hand. And we've, we've talked a lot about that, Melinda. Oh yeah, we do. We always talk about just this idea. And I think we were just talking, I think the last time we spoke, we were just talking about climate change too, but how so many issues are so completely intersectional. So, you know, with climate change, if you're passionate about racial justice, like there's a niche within climate change for racial justice specifically, um, just kind of given the way that, you know, the, the change in climate impacts people who who live in poverty and different things like that. I feel like the cool thing about the space, like Britt was saying, is that you can always find your call even within those greater issues just because the issues are so big and, you know, can intersect in so many different ways. So definitely get out there, find your space. There's always room for you because there's, in my opinion, there will never be enough people working on, you know, climate change and its various like iterations and intersections. So there, there is room at the table for you. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say the other thing about the social change space in general that I found is that even though there's a level of competition in any industry, because everyone is wanting to do good and make a change in the world, I found that it's a very collaborative and supportive space mm-hmm. to be working in, even when you're competing against someone that you know, you're still able to have a good relationship. And I, that's like one of my favorite things about working in this space. Yeah. I found that too. I'm a part of a couple of different organizations in New York and a couple online, which we can put in the show notes for people, some of those organizations, but there is kind of a sense of shared mission. Yes, there is competition and there's a lot of people competing for jobs because like you said, there's a lot of people that do want to do good in the world, which is a good thing. (laughs) Um, But there is this sense of wanting to help each other out and collaborate and come together and support each other with resources and things like that. So I've definitely found that to be true as well. I feel like we've touched on so many things and I mean, even some things that I've like sorting out in my own life as I move forward in my social impact journey. So it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and for all of our listeners, can you tell us where we can follow you and your business? Yeah. So on all of the social channels, we're Motivote US. uh, So that's M-O-T-I-V-O-T-E-U-S. And then we're also motivote.us on the internet is our website. Awesome. So if you want rewards for your good voting habits, sign up for Motivote, right? Yes. <laughs> I do believe we have some elections coming up too. So. We do. <laughs> yes, it's just a you know minor election year. Right, yeah. just really small. <laughs> oh, you know, no big deal, but no, we need to come up. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Rachel. This was amazing having you on and uh, we'll put all that information in the show notes for everyone too. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. This was really great. Yes. Thanks, Rachel. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye.